a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. And from CBTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Lina Liu. Coming up in the program: openness and cooperation, world leaders, financial and business executives, and academics gathered in Guangzhou for the International Financial Forum of the weekend. And we found out what's being discussed. California Governor Gavin Newsom wrapped up his week-long trip to China by launching a new climate partnership with Shanghai and touring Tesla's Shanghai Giga Factory. And in today's Bespoke series, we look at how Chinese enterprises are ramping up efforts to strengthen their international presence in the digital economy. The outlook for the global economy, China's future role in international markets, and much more were discussed at the 20th International Finance Forum in southern Chinese city of Guangzhou. Attendees from the IMF, the World Bank, and the UN are all in attend- attendance. CDTN's Omar Khan has more. The global annual conference of the International Finance Forum has brought together financial experts from around the world. For 20 years, the platform has engaged in dialogue focused on international financial cooperation, new models of growth, and sustainability. This year's gathering is an opportunity for Guangdong Province to showcase what it can contribute to global economic recovery. We adhere to the promotion of high-quality economic development, taking the real economy as the foundation and manufacturing as the leader. We are creating a province that focuses on education, science and technology, and innovation. We formed eight trillion yuan worth of industrial clusters, and our regional innovation capacity has ranked first in the country for eight consecutive years. The IFF network connects 50 countries and regions and more than 100,000 financial experts. For many of them, this meeting is a chance to map out a long-term plan for future financial expansion. In the middle of the Great Bay Area, we are going to build international financial island where all kinds of financial activities will be carried out. Many financial institutions, both Chinese and international, will take seats in this island, working to promote Great Bay Area as one of the best financial centers of the world. Last year, Guangdong's foreign trade reached 8.3 trillion yuan, one fifth of the national total. But putting aside its traditional prowess in the sector, the southern economic powerhouse aims to transform itself and become more than just the factory of the world. Though much of the focus of this gathering has been looking at possible solutions to the turbulence being felt throughout the global economy, financial experts are also looking at the opportunities presented throughout the Greater Bay Area, new forms of sustainable finance, and perhaps most importantly, how the Chinese economy can play a vital role in fueling global economic recovery. Omar Khan, CGTN, Guangzhou. The global annual meeting of the International Finance Forum has released a report on global finance and development. It estimates global growth will slow further this year to 3.1 percent, lower than the 3.4 percent in 2022, and remain at the same level in 2024. It forecasts China to grow at a 5.2 percent rate this year and 5 percent for 2024. The report also stresses challenges like lingering inflationary pressure and geopolitical. 
political tensions that can lead to global economic and financial fragmentation. The report suggests the global community should work together to pursue international cooperation and multilateralism in dealing with common challenges, which also include reducing poverty, protecting the environment, and mitigating climate change. And earlier, my colleague Guanxing spoke to Takehiko Nakao, the former president of the Asian Development Bank, to get his insights on the role of new banking institutions as well as China's economic growth. Take a listen. So when you were the president of the Asian Development Bank, you actually helped the AIIB to uh, get off ground. What is your view on the emergence of these new institutions, which is designed to uh, cater to the needs of the developing countries, such as the AIB and the new development bank uh, on the global financial architecture? So during my time as a presidency of uh, the ADB, uh, there were new banks like AIIB, as you said, and also the new bank, uh, which was uh, the BRIC bank, uh, the uh, Brazil, Russia, and China and India. So it's nice to have uh, these uh, new institutions because uh, it can support uh, the financing of development countries. But because they are new, uh, they need uh, some expertise and knowledge about how to manage them. So uh, ADB was established in 1966, and uh, China was a member from uh, 1986. So uh, ADB has a long history of uh, the supporting uh, Asian countries. So that's why. I uh, decided to uh, co-work with the AIB, especially Mr. Jing. I met him many times, uh, like 10 times uh, during my uh, time. Those uh, new institutions are also managed well uh, so that uh, they can support uh, uh, projects which are economically uh, productive, economically viable. Uh, let's talk about China's economy. A key national conference on financial industry, which took place once every five years, mm -hmm. will take place uh, early next week. Uh, what is your view on the prioritized matters mm -hmm. that the meeting should focus on? Yeah, so financial sectors of uh, uh, China has been strengthened for many years, and it is now regarded the very strong sectors in the world standard and uh, regulation and uh, supervision is strong and they have uh, uh, kept opening and uh, reforming uh, financial sector especially the opening by uh, expanding ownership of uh, foreigners so it has made progress but uh, at this moment uh, uh, the financial sectors also faced with the uh, challenges from uh, real estate uh, kind of issue. Overall, uh, the financial sector of China has uh, made a progress, but uh, at this moment, uh, they face uh, challenges and how to solve these issues in a very, I mean, positive way. Uh, I think uh, that should be discussed also. In the financial sectors, I think it's very important to keep uh, the uh, sufficient capital to uh, support uh, the real sector and also to uh, overcome any difficulties coming from real uh, uh, real estate uh, uh, sectors. But at the same time, about uh, China overall, I think uh, China has uh, had a miraculous uh, growth for years, since uh, the 1978. It ha kept a very high growth, and then after, even after global financial crisis of 2008, China kept a very solid growth. So. For China, I think uh, what is important is to keep uh, open trade and investment regime and to have a, a good uh, favorable relations with the trading partners 
and uh, to uh, secure the safe and uh, conducive uh, environment for the uh, uh, private sectors and foreign business and others uh, to continue growth. So uh, it's not just about financial sector, but it's about all uh, regulations. Now let's get more insights on this. We are now joined by Chu Tian, Research Fellow at the Beijing's Foreign Studies University. Mr. Chi, so the IFF report predicts global growth to slow further this year to 3.1% and likely to remain at the same level for next year. What are the main challenges that the global financial industry is facing? Well, I think for the financial uh, side, I think most important challenge is still the tightening monetary policies will be there for quite a while at the end of this year and also probably a very long time next year. America is still having high inflation and Europe is still in a very high inflation, which means we're still have, or it's going to be with the tightening monetary policy for quite a while. Uh, maybe they're not have an interest rate hike uh, that much next year, but they still are not likely to you know tune down the monetary policies next year. So we're still going to look at a 5% a year of the interest rate, and that will kill a lot of financial demand as well as a real demand in the economy. And that will be a very huge challenge for not only the real economy, but also the financial world as well. So, Mr. Chi, as you said, um, monetary and financial tightening are likely to continue to have an impact on the global financial industry. What are the tools that central banks have in their pockets to deal with that? Well, for China, I think we're in a very different business cycle more than uh, the other major countries in the whole world. Just take a look at our China's CPI. Our CPI is very, very low, which gives the Central Bank of China a lot of leeway to further provide uh, you know, stimulus to our economy and it wouldn't stir major you know, crisis or any effect. But for the rest of the world, I think they're still going to be hanging in there with the uh, very high interest rate with tightening monetary policy. It can be a problem for not only themselves, but also for the rest of the world. But also for China itself, even though we still have the space to further expand our monetary policy, but still we need to watch out the capital accounts in case of the uh, serious capital outflow to happen. So basically, we're still going to have a bumpy road uh, for rest of the world. And also, Mr. Chi, the IFF called on uh, international cooperation to uh, deal with common challenges, including climate change, poverty reduction. What are some of the uh, financial solutions that we can be exploring? Well, I think the current problem is that we still do not have the effective demand in many areas. And also for the traditional growth area, we also see the surplus of the uh, supply or we have the choke point in the supply chain because of geopolitical conflicts and uh, for other reasons. Right now, I think more importantly is for everyone to work together, find out effective demand and for the future growth. For example, green development, the digital economy and the belt and road infrastructure project that can support our common you know, future demand and the future growth potential. China is doing something in this area already. For example, in AIIB and also in a Belt and Road Initiative, we are one of the few forces still supporting the rest of the world with a reasonable interest rate and with a certain amount of the loans to support the future demand and the future growth. So that in case, uh, maybe in another five years or 10 years, we're going to see some other major market happening in the rest of the world, like what happened in China in the past 20 years. So we hope uh, the rest of the world can understand that and then drop the differences immediately and work together, sit on the table, talk to each other, and then form the joint force to work together on R&D and on the future growth 
uh, for the rest of the world. Yeah, and speaking of China, uh, the IFF report predicts China's economy to grow at 5.2% this year and 5% in 2024. Uh, how do you see China's correlation with the global economy in the next few years? We've been seeing Chinese domestic consumption recovering very fast. That's a reason for the 5.2%. But next year, we're not sure because just take a look at the U.S. dollars indicator and also gold indicator. They're both high. Basically, when U.S. dollars strong, gold should be weak. But right now, both of them are high because the whole world are trying to use U.S. dollar and gold, try to reverse the potential risks, which means in the next year, we still have overlapping risks factors ahead of us. So uh, because China is the world factory, the Chinese economy is not only for itself, but also for the rest of the world's demand. So if the potential risk is still not, uh, still out there, Chinese economy will also be affected as well as uh, the ASEAN nation's economy. So the current challenges for China is not only for China, it's also for the whole world. That's the reason why we need to work together closely more than ever to solve the common challenges we are facing. Great insights. Thank you very much, Mr. Chu Chang, Research Fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. California Governor Gavin Newsom and his delegation have wrapped up their week-long trip to China in Shanghai. Newsom's last visit to Shanghai was in 2005 when he was the mayor of San Francisco. On this trip, he visited Tesla's Gigafactory. Chen Tong reports from Shanghai. This is California-born new energy car maker. Tesla is among the important stops California Governor Gavin Newsom has in Shanghai, which is also the only event that was open to the media during his visit to the city. The Gigafactory in Shanghai, Tesla's first overseas plant, has the largest production capacity among the factories Tesla has around the globe. I'm happy to, to see the success of this facility, though we want to compete with this facility. I want more jobs in the United States. I want, uh, I want Tesla to continue to expand and grow. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a global market uh, for all American automobile manufacturers. They're, they're exporting around the globe, and, and that's a very healthy thing for all of us. Other private trips Newsom made in Shanghai included a meeting with government officials and the business leaders in Shanghai. Six cities in a week, Newsom wrapped up his China trip in Shanghai. Some cities he visited, such as Yanchen in Jiangsu province, he only spent a few hours, but he's made great green achievements. He met with Chinese officials, learned about China's efforts in tackling climate change, and he visits two energy power makers and signed memorandums with China's provincial governments. Newsom said on social media account that China and California cannot tackle the climate crisis without working together. And his week-long trip in China shows his commitment to work more closely with China to build a greener future. But more importantly, his arrival in China has taken a step further to strengthen the relationship between China and U.S. Chengdu CGTN, Shanghai. Singapore says it will raise electricity and gas prices for the last quarter of the year, days after announcing the hiking water tariffs from next April. Public, public transport costs are also expected to go up, adding to the burden on residents already grappling with inflation in a hike in Texas. Mira Liu reports. Skyrocketing rents, soaring food prices, and now hikes in public transport fares and utility bills. In Singapore, residents are feeling the pinch of rising costs. Buy a few things and all general milk, the noodle packet, the vegetables, all are going up. Even for like holidays, we are also reconsidering locations that we go to duration of time. Experts know that these hikes are unavoidable. 
Post-pandemic, the global supply chain has faced significant disruptions. Once the energy price is pushed up, so then that is going to affect their production costs as well. According to the last year's data, the average nominal wage of the laborers here has already been increased by 6.5%, which was the largest increase in the past decade. Singapore's working class, however, was unable to benefit from the salary hike. Held back by inflation, real wage growth saw a mere 0.4% increase, the smallest rise since 2012. Experts say thanks to higher-than-expected taxes collected from stamp duty and GST, the government has decided to give back and help Singaporeans cushion the impact of rising costs. The city state has recently announced a support package of 1.1 billion Singapore dollars, or about 800 million U.S. dollars. Together with previous measures, all eligible Singaporeans will receive up to 600 U.S. dollars in cash by the end of the year. Whether more such payouts and rebates would be needed in the future remains an open question. But in the meantime, another major concern for Singapore is how high prices will impact its attractiveness as a tourist and events hub. Do you say, let's go Bangkok because it's far more cheaper? It's really then a consideration that everyone looks at carefully. So its pitch always has been Singapore, whether you're living and working here, Singapore will never ever be the cheapest place. But we want to ensure when you come, you have this experience. High cost of living isn't unique to Singapore, but its reliance on imports makes it vulnerable to external disruptions. Analysts remain confident that the city-state's reputation as a safe, politically stable destination and the government's ability to step in and help locals financially should hold it in good stead in the near future. Meirolu, CGTN, Singapore. And shifting gears to Europe, where the rising cost of living is hitting people hard when they do their weekly shopping. Prices for many household stables remain stubbornly high, driven up by inflation. But there is another problem as well as shrinkflation. That's where the size of a product is reduced, but the price is not. One French supermarket chain has decided to highlight the issue in a bid to keep customers informed. John Bever reports from Paris. Like many other countries in France, some things are smaller than they used to be. But for those doing their weekly shop at Carrefour, they're being warned about it. Signs have been put up next to a range of products. This one warns that the iced tea being sold has got smaller, but the amount being charged by the producer has gone up. In a period of inflation where it is extremely restrictive for customers, they have an expectation from the brands they frequent, which is to demonstrate very high transparency and above all to support their purchasing power. But when there are manufacturers carrying out shrinkflation, in other words, they carry out hidden inflation, we consider that there is a lack of honesty towards customers and that the customer can be deceived because the product appears to be exactly exactly identical to the previous products they used to buy. The warning signs were first put up next to more than 25 products in September. It's the latest battle between sellers and their suppliers. Some of the major supermarket chains here have accused food manufacturers of keeping prices higher than they should be, claiming prices have risen faster than costs. Consumer rights groups in France have long been concerned by changing weights and labels 
and what they see as efforts to deliberately confuse shoppers. They're urging caution and encouraging people to shop around. As always, it's up to the consumer to be vigilant, the same as with inflation. It's the consumer themselves who's making the decisions. It's up to them to be truly vigilant, to check that they can monitor price developments, knowing that shops do not all have the same pricing policies and that you can always go to another shop. Perhaps you'll find the same products cheaper. Food manufacturers have said costs have risen for everything from raw ingredients to transport and claim they're doing all they can to keep prices down. Inflation in France is expected to be around 5.5% for 2023 as a whole, meaning food prices are unlikely to drop anytime soon. But these warnings of shrinkflation should at least let shoppers know when things are smaller than they seem. John Beaver, CGTN, Paris. Time now for our special series, Biz Focus. The digital economy has become an important engine for stabilizing global economic growth, and many Chinese enterprises are looking for opportunities to expand overseas in this area. And in today's Biz Focus, my colleagues Aaron Liu and Zhu Zhu will find out how some Chinese enterprises have ramped up efforts to strengthen their international presence in the digital economy. Biz Focus Feeling China's Economic Pulse. China has established a national data bureau to actively promote the construction of the data element market and facilitate international cooperation in digital technology. Our reporter Aaron Liu interviewed a trade delegation from Bahrain. They hope to accelerate local industrial transformation through cooperation with Chinese technology companies. Take a look. The digital economy has emerged as a vital engine for ensuring stable economic growth and driving transformation. Recently, Bahrain's minister led a delegation of senior government and business representatives from Bahrain to visit Chinese companies. We look for both investment in Bahrain and investment outside of Bahrain into China. Today we visited a company which uh, has uh, benefited from Bahrain investment into them in the ICT sector. And likewise, we look for Chinese investment as foreign direct investment into Bahrain. Terminus Group has ingeniously crafted urban planning and management solutions centered around green, efficient, and market-oriented technologies. Previously, we mentioned that digital personalization was mainly focused on the production process. But now, in the context of the digital economy of the Internet of Things, we actually mean that customization needs to be considered for the entire ecosystem. Only then can we achieve a comprehensive goal of low carbon. There's a heavy focus on artificial intelligence uh, right now, and we're, we're currently studying and assessing how best to use it to serve our objectives and needs uh, nationally. And AIoT solutions and services, Terminus Group successfully facilitated the digitalization of events, showcasing its capability by supplying over 150 robots to the organizers. The delegations very interested in the products of Chinese technology companies during this visit. They hope to understand the most advanced technologies. Now, since the emergence of ChatGPT, I think everyone's very clear that next year is the year of artificial intelligence. Digital technology has changed the world. 
The two sides engaged in discussions on topics such as digital infrastructure development, high-end manufacturing, and exchange and cultivation of technology talents. While at present achieving breakthroughs in foundational technologies such as advanced chips, system software, and critical equipment is of paramount importance. In 2022, China's digital economy grew to over 50 trillion yuan, accounting for more than 40 percent of the country's GDP. Our reporter Zhu Zhu reports on the 2023 annual China Global Think Tank Innovation Forum, focusing on international cooperation in the digital economy. Take a listen. With the rise of a new round of the global technological revolution, the digital economy has become a driving force for global economic growth. During the eighth China Global Think Tank Innovation Forum held in Beijing, participating experts said that the digital economy inherently possesses a global nature and called for enhanced international cooperation. We need to promote inclusiveness. This is not just about the EU, China, and the U.S. This is about India. This is about Brazil.、Uh, this is about all those countries in the south. To boost international digital connectivity, industry insiders said working together to have common standards, regulations, and governance is urgent. Right now, EU has its digital standards, U.S. has its digital standards, China has its digital standards. It's all、uh, not connected. So we need a, a common、uh, standards that、uh, so China, U.S., and EU, the three largest digital economy in the world, has to work together. The starting point would be、um, to try to have the same standards,、uh, or at least to have. In addition, digital economy boom has both pros and cons. Data leak is one of the issues. Many experts are calling for upgrading laws and regulations to ensure data security. We see, even between the EU and the US, that、uh, we have difficulties in finding an agreement which will not be challenged in, in, in the courts, as it has been the case several times in the last years. So it's clear that if we want to extend that even further on a on a totally multilateral basis,、uh, we need to bring something to the table. To enhance digital economy cooperation, China has built the Digital Silk Road and worked with 17 Belt and Road partner countries. Experts concur that these initiatives help developing countries to propel their digital economy. I think the、uh, the global south, developing countries, are lacking the digital infrastructure. And China has, for example, China has the 70 percent of global 5G stations. Digital Silk Road is a great way to helping developed countries to、uh, elevate、uh, together. And I think China is open. China is ready. And China certainly would very much、uh, work together with all the community, every kind of community. To implement. Attending guests also stressed that sustained efforts are required to achieve consensus on core principles in developing digital economies and to create an open framework for international cooperation. Zhuzhu, CGTN, Beijing. And with that, I'm wrapping up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Lily in Beijing. Thanks for being with us. Up next is the world today with Sachin. Bye for now.